today on Ag News Daily. The nice thing about one out tractors or no autonomous is that we can run multiple units at once. And when you can run multiple units, you no longer need these huge tractors that we're driving nowadays. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tech Tuesday here on the podcast. I'm Mike Pearson, joined by co-host Hannah Pagel. Hannah, how you doing today? I am doing great, Mike. It's The sun's finally starting to come out here in Ames. It was a little cloudy this morning, but other than that, it's a beautiful day. And yourself? You know, I can't complain one bit. We've got, uh, like you say, a little bit of sun, cooler temperatures, things all told look pretty darn good. I would say so. We've got a, a great interview coming up later today with uh, Zach James with Rabbit Tractors. So, And I think this is going to be a pretty exciting interview, don't you? Absolutely. This is a really good conversation talking about the future of technology in in agriculture, looking at the way that uh, maybe machinery is going to change as we uh, move towards the future. It's Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and that is brought to us by our partners up at Harvest Profit. On the phone with me now is Nick Horb. And Nick, you have more than just the Harvest Profit management software. You also offer several courses. Can you tell us what is coming out for farmers here in the near future? Yeah, Mike. You know, we sell farm management software really with the goal of giving the producers visibility to make confident, proactive farm management decisions. But at the end of the day, uh, the software isn't a magical tool. A farm needs to have the knowledge, uh, the the building blocks of making these successful farm management decisions, whether that's knowing futures and options to marketing grain like a grain elevator does, to being able to objectively evaluate investment decisions and a ton more. We've baked about 50 different lessons into our business of farming course And we open it up a couple times a year uh, during some of the slower times of the year. And we know July can be a little bit of a lull between brain. And so we're launching our business of farming course again uh, next Tuesday. And this week we are running a special promotion uh, that ends Friday at noon central time. And we're offering the the course is normally $500. We're offering it uh, for $397. And if producers are interested in learning more, they can visit harvestprofit.com backslash launch. That's harvestprofit.com backslash launch to learn more about our business of farming course. Fantastic, folks. That is more than a 20% discount. Get over there, harvestprofit.com backslash launch. Nick from Harvest Profit, thank you. But before we get to that, should we jump into some ag news? Let's do it, Hannah. What's jumping out at you here on this Tuesday? So the first thing I have for you today is Scott Hutchinson. It was appointed or nominated by President Donald Trump to be the USDA's Undersecretary for Research, Education, and Economics. So Hutchins is a entomologist who also serve, serves as a professor at the University of Nebraska and as a scientist for Corteva Agrosciences. But it looks like we have around four highly qualified nominees that are waiting 
for the Senate to approve them into their position. So that's good news here. It is, but I've got to imagine with the uh, Supreme Court nominee coming up that uh, most of those others are probably going to take a back seat, I would think. I, you know, I think you're right on that. And I was curious, too, because, you know, this is like what? President Trump's like second year in office? That's right, right? Yeah, right. No, this is we're still in his second year. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not good at time, Hannah. You know that. I don't even I hardly I know. ever know. Why what did day I is. even ask? Okay. Well, yeah, what are you doing? I sorry. My question was though, so when they get approved, does that mean that they are in that position until President Trump is like done with his term or are they like appointed and then they stay appointed for the rest of until they quit? Is that how that works? They're appointed. Well, every office is a little different, but I think they're appointed until the next president appoints somebody different or if they quit, you know, if they decide that they just, you know, want to stop. Okay, well, that's interesting, because what if they like just get appointed like a month before the term's over and then the new president like selects somebody else like right away? That's like barely even a term. Yeah, then they serve for a month. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But while we're talking about appointees, I've got some comments here from uh, Scott Gottlieb, who is the head of the FDA. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking quite a bit. You've talked a few times, Hannah, about the, what do you want to call it, cultured meat, the meat that's grown in a Petri dish, basically. Yes, that I've been keeping close eyes on this because, I don't know, this is just a very fascinating story to keep up with. But what do you got, Mike? So today, Politico is hosting an event called the Pro Summit in D.C., and they've got all kinds of, you know, different Washingtonians there talking about different things. And one of the speakers was Scott Gottlieb. And so he has weighed in on this lab-grown meat product. He called it cell-cultured food at this summit. He did not call it clean meat. He didn't call it slaughter-free or whatever else they want to call it. He's calling it cell-cultured food, and I think that's a that's a good sign for animal agriculture. I think it's a good sign, yes, but I don't know. That just cell I I don't know why, but cell-cultured meat sounds better than cell-cultured food. I don't know. That Yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah, you're my right. opinions different on that, but I don't know. Something I just kind of scrunched up my nose a little bit when you said that, but Yeah, there's a lot of definitions there at at war. But he also had another quote that I think our dairy listeners will be happy to hear. He says, quote, the agency wants to enforce standards of identity for dairy foods. Basically, he's looking at labeling dairy as actual dairy food that comes from either, you know, cows or goats or sheep and soy almond, whatever else there are, uh, getting those relabeled as a different product, as some other kind of beverage. And his quote of the day at the Pro Summit was, almonds don't lactate, which I think (laughs) is something we can all agree to. And it's nice to hear the FDA uh, say that. That is good to hear. And speaking of the FDA, the National Pork Producers Council has called up on the Trump administration to have the USDA oversee lab-grown meat. So, They're just not really wanting the FDA to oversee this. They just want to level the playing field. And the National Pork Producers Council thinks that the USDA can do a better job regulating this than the FDA. And I found it kind of interesting because as I was reading through, 
it went on to say how the FDA currently holds regulatory authority over gene editing in food-producing animals. And the FDA treats gene editing in animals as a living animal drug, so they don't see it as this is a gene-edited animal. They see it as essentially a drug, an animal produced by a drug. Essentially, that's how they are administering this policy or essentially and it kind of goes back to when we talked to Allison Van Enenem, um, the professor at UC Davis. She's the one who has successfully created polled cattle using CRISPR technology and it was interesting because that was one of the challenges that she's been having to overcome but just because of the FDA is administering her work and her research as a drug, and so they're not allowing her animals to be put into the food chain until they get more, I guess, more regulation on it or more research on it. Yeah, but, more everything, it sounds like, when she was on the podcast here a couple months ago. And, you know, what's interesting is the gene editing of plants, as you mentioned, is overseen by... USDA. So where there's, again, that weird distinction between where the FDA comes in and where the USDA comes in. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I do, too. And they say they, they want it to be you know regulated the same way that it's reg- gene editing is regulated in plants. And, and they said here they want it to still be required that they comply with the same regulatory standards, including continuous inspection, process controls, postmortem inspections, and then like the source of where the animals and whatnot. So everything is there. They just want them to follow the same practices and whatnot. So hopefully, you know, some things can get aired out along the way and we can find the right person and the right counsel, I guess, to uh, oversee this. What did that political guy call it? Scott? Um, cell. Scott Gottlieb. There you go. Scott Gottlieb. He called it what? Cell cultured food. Yes. Cell cultured food. Okay. Well. Yeah. Well, speaking of food of the meat variety, we've got news out of the USDA today that for the first time in 14 years, Japan will be expect accepting sheep and goat exports from the U.S. They banned uh, lamb exports in 2003 after BSE in the cow herd, and now after a lot of uh, wrangling. We're getting sheep and goat meat heading back to Japan, so maybe this is time for me to get out there and invest in my goat herd. (laughs) Maybe. I love goats. They're one of my favorite animals on the farm. They're fun to watch, so that's good news. Absolutely. I wonder what the meat yield is on a fainting goat. Uh, you know, probably not very high. I feel like they exert a lot of their energy <laughs> fainting Falling or running around. Yeah, so I don't really, and probably that meat might be a little bit tougher. I think those fainting goats are more for, like, enjoyment and just, you know, watching to cheer yeah. you up or something There's like probably that. some bruising that happens as those uh, those goats topple over. You know, you're probably right. That'd be interesting to see. Yeah, maybe I can get some funding and do a research project. I would love to see you do a research project. That sounds very (laughs) intriguing. Free money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hannah, let's see. Do you have any other news that uh, we need to make sure we talk to before we get to our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion? The last one I just want to talk about is a House committee directs the FCC to create a task force on 
precision ag. So the House Energy and Commerce Committee signed off last week on H.R. 4881, which would direct the FCC to create a task force focused on precision agriculture's connectivity and tech needs. And then they are also looking at approving a provision to establish an Office of Internet Connectivity and Growth within the Commerce Department that would work with localities to encourage broadband expansion and adoption. So, Well, there we go. If we can get broadband out in the countryside, uh, it's good news. Definitely. Mike, what else do you have jumping out for you? Are you all done with news? I just have one other brief story before we kick it over to the markets, and this is a story about a company that we have had on the podcast for a Tech Tuesday, which is Agrable, which is a company they do offer different products to groups of farmers. They've got agronomic and on-farm advisory uh, tools and weather, and so we've had Dr. Eric Snodgrass on the podcast from the University of Illinois, and he is one of the co-founders of Agrable, and it was announced today that Nutrien has agreed to purchase Agrable for $63 million, which I thought was pretty cool. It's neat to see uh, companies getting out there and continuing to grow and, you know, working into the ag system and, you know, startup founders getting paid. That's right. Even in a time where these commodity prices aren't the greatest, it's great to see that there is still, you know, that advancement going on in the agriculture industry. You bet. Well, let's see, Hannah. Let's get to the market so we can start talking tractors with our hashtag Tech Tuesday discussion. All right. Well, let's get to it, Mike. Folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, put a plan in place, put a strategy together to manage your marketing risk on the farm. Give them a call at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. And the bulls are out to play again today here in the grain markets. Looking at corn right off the bat, the September contract up four and a half cents at three forty six and a quarter. December also up four and a half, finished at three fifty nine and three quarters. In soybeans, the August was up a dime at eight thirty nine and a half. November new crop up nine and a half cents to close at eight fifty five and a quarter. Chicago wheat September up nine and a quarter, finished at four ninety seven and three quarters. The December up eight and a quarter to close the day at five twelve and a quarter. Looking over on the livestock side. We did see yesterday's strength in cattle fade away throughout the day. The August contract was down 50 cents at 106.4250. October down 15 at 108.50. And feeder cattle weakness continued. The August contract off a dollar 10 at 151.2750. September down 75 cents, closed at 151.70. And weakness again in lean hogs. The August contract down a dollar 30, closed at 67.90. October down a dollar 80 to finish at 52.20. And, of course, we can't forget about the dairy market here after yesterday's surprising run-up in the August contract. Oh, it did not repeat itself today. July down 2 cents, 14.24. August class 3 milk down 14 to close at 15.04. Before we get to our conversation with Zach James from Rabbit Tractors for Hashtag Tech Tuesday, let's get a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. With us again this week is Phil Long, the agronomic specialist at Latham High Tech Seeds. And Latham has folks with boots on the ground throughout the growing season, keeping track of what's going on in the crops and in the fields. And Phil, you've been out. What have you seen? What's jumping out at you this year? Yeah, it seems like there's not a lot of things overtaking crops yet, but we're right at that point where it's getting to the point, you know, we want to be considered a fungicide if that's the case. And one one disease that's been jumping out, it's a really distinctive one. For those that have seen it, it's called Physoderma brown spot. 
Uh, it shows up as a kind of a purple or kind of chocolate-colored brown spots right in the midriff of the leaf and even can show up on the stalk of the plant, uh, on the corn plant. So it's, it's a very diagnostic disease. Uh, a fungal disease that can't be treated with a with a fungicide around our one time period. You just got to check and make sure that those labels are are labeled for physoderma brown spot. Make sure that you're you're diagnosing the disease correctly. It can be misdiagnosed. Uh, southern rust as well as eye spot can kind of look similar in terms of of leaf symptoms. Um, but 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 a fungicide and some good rotation and even maybe some tillage might be necessary to help help with control. All right, folks, keep all that in mind. And always remember, Latham High Tech Seeds has expertise across the Midwest. And to put that to work on your farm, give them a shout at 877-GO-LATHAM or visit the website at LathamSeeds.com. Well, it is Hashtag Tech Tuesday here on the podcast, and Hannah and I are speaking with Zach James. He is the founder, co-founder, and president of a company called Rabbit Tractors. Zach, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Now, give us the background. What is, what's the idea behind Rabbit Tractors? Yeah, so... um I was pretty interested in autonomy and just how it, how it applied to, how it applied to the entire world and really all the changes it was going to make. And so I started looking at it from an agricultural perspective. And right, labor savings—it's nice, but it's not a huge amount. Um, the nice thing about when our tractors are no autonomous is that we can run multiple units at once. And when you can run multiple units, you no longer need these huge tractors that we're driving nowadays. Um, you know, you, you think about something like a, a, a sprayer, you spend most of your time driving to that field and you know, only a few minutes spraying it. There's a huge capacity mismatch there. What's a, a way more efficient way to do it is have multiple small machines that take longer when you get into the field, but because you have more of them, you're cutting your travel time from to every field drastically. Um, so, so that's the idea. It's, it's multiple small tractors working on a more efficient and more effective basis than the uh, modern large tractor. And Zach, does this machine, so it's compatible with all different types of agriculture technologies from spraying to harvesting to planting, or is it just one specific area? Yeah, so that's a, it's another nice thing about having a smaller platform is that the components that you put on it are a lot smaller. So, you know, a 1,200-gallon tank, 120-foot boom, those are heavy pieces of, uh, those are heavy components and they'd be extremely hard to pull that off and replace it with something else. But when you shrink down that size, everything gets a lot simpler and a lot lighter and it's easier to use a single, a single power platform, which is 30 to 40% the cost of the actual tractor for multiple purposes. So the tractor we're designing now, it can pull a three point implement. It can, uh, it has 78 inches of ground clearance. So you can put a tank and a, a 40 foot boo on top of it and spray with it. And then it also, we've designed it in a way that you can make custom implements that kind of bolt onto the bottom in a more of a fixed manner for more precision application that, uh, right, with all the precision technology coming out. <laughs> Zach, it's really cool to envision a field literally crawling with smaller tractors. So now when you talk about the tractor you're designing, give us the the basics. How big are we talking? How much horsepower are we talking? 78-inch uh, uh, ground clearance. What else do we need to know about this machine? Yeah, so um, I should clarify that there are two tractors in the works. 
there's what we call a light touch heavy work unit, which is the rabbit one, and then a no touch sort of surgeon after we plant going in a small activity, we call that the rabbit two. So the rabbit one is about the size of a pickup truck, weighs 3,500 pounds dry, um, 150 horsepower diesel engine, four wheel hydrostatic drive, um, like I said, 400 gallon tank, 40 foot boom. Um, yeah, so that's about that one. That's, and the idea with that is that does your bulk work. When we know you need to go out and plant or we need to go apply nitrogen at, with large gallon rates, we use that one. And then the other one is the Rabbit 2, and that's a, it's a much smaller platform. Like I said, that's the, the no-touch version. So the envisionment is there's a lot of little activities where we're losing a percentage, two, three, four percentages of yield because just the economics aren't there to get a tractor out and fix it. So you think of something like uh, non-germination, it, it, four to six percent loss in yield, but you're going to run over three percent of the field driving out the tractor and replanting it at, at least. So it just it doesn't pay to do it. So this much smaller platform is three feet wide, four feet long, completely electric, uh, completely self-sustaining with its own battery changing station and refill station. And the idea with that is you can go in and do activities where if you, if you have a very small spot of weeds, you can spray that. Or if you want to do replanting or other, you know, smaller activities, you can do it. So basically you could put on a, a one row planting unit, attach it to the three point. You could put on a, a 20 gallon spray tank and go out and spray. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. And the envisionment with that is that a lot of these technologies like seeing spray spraying and uh, different planting technologies that are coming out. They don't work as well on a, a large platform, and they and they work a lot better on, on these smaller platforms. Um, and like you said, with uh, you could pull a three-point uh, planter, but then we also have ways to actually basically just punch a seed into the ground. So if you have two feet of space in a row, that's not enough room to get a planter in there and get it arranged and plant where you want it to plant. But what this the way our machine actually works is it drives over and it sees that two-foot space with its camera. And then just almost how you poke a, a seed in the ground with your finger is, is how our mechanism works. And, Zach, I heard you say charging stations. So these machines are, like, electronic-based or electricity-run. Is that right? Yeah, so um, we use four brushless motors for the Rabbit 2. Uh, it's a 72-volt system. We think we can get three and a half to five hours, just depending on the activity, per battery. And then each uh, battery station holds at least five batteries. So then for the farmer, would they have to have a charging station at each one of their fields, or is this, like, charging station something that can be transported from field to field? Or what? what's your concept or it's, idea behind that? It's completely mobile. The, the tractor itself is small enough that you could fit it on the back of a, tr uh, a truck and it'll fit between the wheel wells. The charging station is slightly larger, so you would need a utility trailer to move that, but it's extremely light, extremely it's on wheels, so you... you basically like a dolly you bend it over pull it on the truck on the trailer drive to the next location leave it or you could also permanently permanently put them at uh, multiple locations the way sure. that rolls out is something we're still exploring and really we want to get it in the hands of farmers before we really nail that down yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and i'm thinking out west where you've got perhaps uh you know electricity running to a center pivot irrigation you know you've got a spot there a big field that might work now Mm -hmm. You mentioned the idea of 
the swarm operating multiple vehicles in a field or or in a territory. Talk to us a little bit about how that autonomy would be synchronized. How do you get all the machines to talk to each other? If this rolls out, what do I as the grower need to have to make this thing work? Mm-hmm. Um, so for connectivity, we use the low frequency radio waves that go back, that uh, they bounce the signal off of each other to extend the range. And you can get two, three miles line of sight, even, you know, through some hills, through some trees that way too, because we're above the canopy and really there's not that many obstacles out there. We can get quite some range there. The actual swarm of the field, um, within a, a field, how it works is we have, say you have three robots. That's our scale for the rabbit one. It's three of our tractors are about as productive as one modern tractor or a sprayer. Okay. What have you. Um, the way it works is we basically take that field, cut it up into three even sections based on how long we estimate it's going to take each vehicle to do it. And then as that changes, the vehicles are constantly talking to each other and rebalancing the, uh, the assigned workload between. That's, so that's how it would work within a field. For a lot of instances, it's going to be more practical to just leave one in a field and then put another one in another field and another one in another field. Because like I said, the transport time is really, really the killer. And if you put one in a field, then you're operating at 30% capacity. As you're moving the next one, then you're at 60% capacity. And then you're at 100% capacity. You've cut your travel time by by a huge amount doing it that way. So we think that's the way it'll more frequently be used. And, Zach, you mentioned earlier that you have two tractors in the works, and so you're kind of still in that ideation stage. But what steps do you have left before these tractors are out on the market? Yeah, so we're first focusing on we, – we've built the Rabbit 2 prototype – or the I'm sorry, the Rabbit 1 prototype, the, the large one. Um, and now we're actually taking the attention focusing on building the Rabbit 2, and we're going to roll that out first. Uh, right now we're just finishing up that – we've designed it, inspected it all out, the electrical system, everything. We have that out at, at the shop being built right now. Uh, that should be ready in about a month. We're hoping to debut at the Farm Progress show. Then this winter, we've got some partners down in Tennessee where we're going to test and we're going to actually plant some soybeans and get them growing as, as long as we can keep them growing and then refine our software, refine our computer vision stuff. And in 2019, that summer, we're going to roll out with a full-scale test with five units down in Tennessee with the same growers. And in 2020, we want to do pilot sales about anywhere from 50 to 100 units, just just, just depending on what demand is. Now, as you look ahead, and I know we're, we're still in the, the testing and refinement phase, but roughly what are you shooting for at a price point for the Rabbit 1? The Rabbit 1 will be about $150,000. Uh, if you compare it on a unit of work basis and the increase in efficiency, it's about 30% cheaper than what you'd pay for equipment. For, so as they say, like, if you're looking at it on a dollar per acre basis, we're about 30% cheaper than any, anything else on the market. And then the Rabbit 2, much cheaper. It's about uh, it's about $15,000 for the tractor, $10,000 for the base station. Then each battery is about $1,000. And then the different implements would range between $500 and $5,000. And I'm curious, uh, can you explain a little bit on, on your name, Rabbit Tractor? What does that exactly mean, or how did you guys come about coming up with that name? Um, you know, when I was first just bouncing off the ideas, talking to people, what kept on coming up is, you know, this would look like a, a bunch of little rabbits just kind of 
running through the field, you know, not doing any huge amount of work, but just kind of nibbling on the weeds as it sees them and kind of just uh, it's stuck from there. Very cool. Now, Zach, if folks want to get some more information, if they want to learn more about it, A, tell us what's the website, and B, where can they find you at Farm Progress Show this year? Um, the website is rabbitractors.com. I, I will admit it's kind of sparse. We spend most of our time focusing on the technology and, and not on the um, the media at this point. And the Farm bet. Progress Show will be at the will be at the Iowa Agritech booth. Um, I'm not sure of the exact number, but I know it's right in the center. Fantastic. And folks, we've had Megan Volstadt on the podcast before with the Iowa Agritech Accelerator. And Zach, you were part of that program last year. Is that right? Yeah, I went through the first cohort. Very cool. So it's neat to see these ideas coming to fruition. They're going to be out in the field. Folks, check them out. Rabbit Tractors, as, as Zach mentioned, it's mainly just a contact page and some light information. But if you're at Farm Progress, be sure to stop by that booth and say hey and learn more about what could be coming in the future in agriculture. Zach James, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Mike and Hannah. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Zach, for that great detailed explanation on rabbit tractors. And it's pretty interesting, Mike. I think it's, uh, you know, his explanation on how they got the name and how they he was saying how it's like little rabbits going to be out like nibbling on the plants, but they're machines. I I don't know. It's I could envision envision that really well. So it's pretty pretty cool technology that's going to be coming out here shortly. You know, it really is. And there was a great discussion I was a part of on Twitter recently about how agriculture consistently is uh, is not as competitive as manufacturing when it comes to utilizing machinery. And that's one of Zach's big concerns is we spend all this money on machinery, huge pieces of equipment that then have a, a very low payback rate because of how they travel, how they, you know, transport, fold up and all of this. And maybe going smaller is the wave of the future. So we'll have to stay tuned. And, folks, we'll be at Farm Progress Show later this year. If you're going to be around, be sure to talk, stop by the Iowa AgTech Accelerator booth, see what all what all those uh, smart folks have coming out, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. There's going to be some great technologies at the Farm Progress Show, and it's always great to hear more information when you're with a person and whatnot. But, Mike, if our listeners have any questions or want to get a hold of us, where can they go to for more information? They should always be sure to look us up on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. We'll be there. Or you can visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Hannah, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.